so much XRP. There's some people liberal with the swearing here. Yeah. <laughs> you can cut that one out. You can add, let me let me let me record you a word to add over it. <laughs> Flip. Roll for take sixty nine. Revix podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to the Revix podcast. Today I am here with Louis Bass, my co-founder. Hello. And this is Sean Sanders. We are talking today about Ripple and all the fantastic things that Ripple is trying to do with this world. Yes. With this world, not with this, this world. world. Yeah. With this in world. this world, no, with this world, with this around world. this world. No, with this world, Brad right. wants to own the world. At one point in time, wasn't Brad, that Brad Garlinghouse, the CEO mm-hmm. of Ripple, the CEO of a cryptocurrency, essentially. Ooh, you can already see what oh, sides of this fence we're going to be on. Would we say, that? Would we say that? Okay, let's move on. So Which anyway. side exactly? Okay. <laughs> there is a- okay, so in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about Ripple. What exactly does Ripple do? What does XRP do? Mm-hmm. What does, I think there's XRapid. There's like so many different. Oh, there are a couple of products, yeah. yeah so many different yeah. products. Like a real Decentralized business. cryptocurrency. Like a real business. Like a real business. Yes. Like a real business. Not air quote, they're a real business. They're a real business. <laughs> I was air quoting products. Uh, <laughs> products. Okay. Anyway, so uh, in the headlines this week, I will get through this fairly quickly and then we can get on to the juicy debate on Ripple and all the joys it brings to this world. So Ripple acquired Icelandic crypto trading firm Algram, along with its team of engineers. And it's moved now into Iceland. So it's got a new office there. And that's after its spree last Mm. week and the week Mm. before where it acquired Logos. And I have heard that it's Logos and not Logos. (laughs) Logos. Yes, Um, which is X-Spring. It's all happening in Iceland. So everything's really heating up there. Well, it's colder. It's heating up there. Yeah, I did it. Okay, let's move on. Oh, sheesh. Anyway, okay, so the new team, and I'm just reading this now, but the new team will play an integral role in the ongoing development of Ripple's on-demand liquidity products. And this Mm -hmm. utilizes XRP for the production of cross-border payments. And Iceland will serve as one of Ripple's engineering hubs with plans to bring on more technical talent in the region. So. Yes. I mean, uh, the first thing that I think is if you are looking to build a regional hub in Iceland, that's probably not, doesn't sound the hardest idea. The question is, why do you build a regional hub? That's, that's in also Iceland. a very interesting thing. But it seems like they I guess they are all about cross border payments. So the more borders they can put in, the better. Yeah. From an Iceland perspective, I mean, the times of actually being geographically central, I think, are a little bit gone. So it's not like Iceland gives you any advantage in that, right? So it's basically just, there must be some sort of regulation thing. Anyway. Well, I think, I mean, as the article goes on to say, it, it talks about Ripple's kind of spree of acquihires. And I think you and I can attest to the fact of, you know, trying to hire anyone that's in the crypto space isn't the easiest thing in the entire world, right? I mean, in case no. you guys don't know, we're looking for new developers <laughs> at Revix. So this is a bit of a sales point on this front as well. But I can understand why you would go to a company and want to, if you had the money like Ripple does, yeah. to acquire a... I don't know, a, a team well, of a company, developers. Yeah, a company working on something interesting in space because what they're obviously trying to do is build a suite of products that mm-hmm. allow people to, and this is why I really like them, and this is, I think, why I feel like they are misunderstood largely, whereas everyone in the crypto space for a long while, or any cryptocurrency, right, like let's put Ripple in there, whatever, actually wasn't managed effectively as a business. There were a lot of people developing the tech behind it, and they just said, like, we're going to go out and build this project and like all X, Y, Z. And they just launched this crypto that would then be tradable. But there wasn't much business thought behind a lot of those projects. And the ones that were weak failed. And that's kind of the reason we built our bundles, right? But where Ripple comes in is they have such a strong business side 
that supports the cryptocurrency um, and the products they are building to actually leverage this cryptocurrency are actually where I believe they're creating the value, which is why Acqui hiring new businesses that add to this product suite is, makes complete sense for them. Okay, so but I mean, if you look at traditional investments, right? Take mm -hmm. Apple stock or Samsung stock or Tencent stock. Yes. There is a company value. So there's a value that the market is assigning to this company. And then there are a certain number of shares in the market. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple billion shares usually. And these shares in the case of Apple trade for a thousand something dollars. And in the case of, I might be actually wrong with that. I don't know where Apple shares are trading at the moment. At a dollar value. No, they're not at <laughs> a dollar value. Um, but you've got shares that trade at different values, right? Yeah. And if the company goes and issues more shares with the same value assigned to it, the rest of the shares lose value because naturally there's more shares in circulation. And if you're taking the whole company value divided by the number of shares in circulation, mm. essentially so, each share is worth less. And what Ripple has done, and if I can just see you frothing at a reply, oh, what Ripple ready. has done I'm is so essentially ready. they've obviously got a value and I mean XRP, the cryptocurrency yes. that they used to move money um, cross-border and whatnot, that is different to the actual company's value, right? Now the thing is that Ripple Very has been different. assigned a value by the market, a few billion dollars. And they've increased the supply of XRP. The company? No. Or the crypto? The cryptocurrency. Sorry, so okay. let's actually start differentiating okay. them. So Ripple, the company, XRP, the cryptocurrency. So Ripple, let's call that the company, yes. and XRP, the cryptocurrency. Yeah. Yes. So XRP, just the same way as a company would have value, XRP has a network value, just the same as yes, every other cryptocurrency sure. out there. Now, what they've done is increase the supply of XRP quite significantly over yeah. the last while. And that's resulted in technically Ripple becoming as, or oh, sorry, XRP, yeah, this is yes. quite difficult, XRP yeah. becoming less and less valuable. So one XRP should technically be worth less simply based on the fact that there's so much more Ripple out there in the, yeah, mm. so much more XRP out there in the market. So I agree, that, that, that is the straight financier way of looking at it, supply demand naturally, right? But where I see the two playing together, and like I wanna use one other example of where I think this is going, which is, I think the reason why it's so difficult to comprehend why all these token economies actually will bring up new business models later um, is because the closest thing I can say here with Ripple is the XRP is like oil, it's like a fluid that's running through this. And naturally, right, the business is building tech solutions, right, XVIA, all these other things, right, that basically increase the demand on using this oil, right? But the oil is like free flowing and it has to have a dollar value because what they're trying to do is let people exchange it very easily. So either they, like Swift, have to say, okay, we promise that on this side it's worth X, on this side it's worth something else, right? They have this like really heavy process or they allow this currency to fluctuate, but people aren't meant to stay in Ripple for very long. They're meant to go in and out. It's like a, a transfer, right? So the more tools they build that are actually useful for banks and the more remittance tools they build that are actually useful for companies, Who's going to actually say, I'm a bank, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna use this thing like Swift, right? I'm gonna use Xvia to transfer this thing, but actually I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna do all this work myself to change which currency it works with because I don't like Ripple. No, because you're not you're not actually paying Ripple anything for that. You're paying for the software, right? That's why I think their business model is so great. And the best way I can describe this in the Apple way is it's basically like, imagine and you have to bear with me here for, imagine Apple as a company decided that everybody was going to eat flipping Burger King every day or something like that. Am I allowed to swear on the podcast? I don't know. Ed? It's fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> Let's say they all say everyone's going to drink 
like this water and we're going to buy, we're going to make sure everyone has 10 waters a day at their desk, right? You can bring your own water as an employee, but we're going to do this. That action by that many people, right? Buying this water increases the value of the stock of that company. And that's just because we have these very fixed views of what this value can be extracted as, right? So naturally, you're going to be like, okay, this decision by this big company to use this product is going to increase the value of this company. Now look look at XRP. Ripple is working very hard acquiring great solutions like this to build tools for banks and institutions to use actually business cases or to solve business cases, i.e. remittance, i.e. payments, i.e. all these different things, right? On-demand liquidity, these things. And it just happens to use XRP, which needs to be tradable. That's what's pushing the value of XRP up, in my opinion, right? Just from a speculative point of view. But actually, at the end of the day, owning XRP is not like as rigid as owning stocks in what, like Burger King or something like that, right? So it is different and people need to be aware of that. But I think this is a very innovative model. Okay. I mean, it's innovative in the sense that there is this supply of Ripple and, oh, sorry, I'm going to be, I'm going to keep messing this up. There's a supply and that's how complicated this supply is. Of XRP, there is a supply yeah. of XRP in the market. Yeah. And because a centralized company, namely Ripple, is able to manipulate that supply, as an investor, I mean, I don't see them ever pulling liquidity from the market, not for the foreseeable future, which mm. means that they can just go on dumping and dumping XRP in the market, where at some point in time, unless there is this massive uptick in demand, which I suppose is baked into the risk premium and all the rest in this in this uh, cryptocurrency, but unless there's this massive increase in demand, XRP's value is going to keep declining because there's oh. just so much of it in the market. And Ripple, the company, don't care about the price of XRP, right? As you rightly said. They which don't. means that why would you ever have an investment case of wanting to own Ripple or own so, XRP? So that's, that is that is a great question. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, what you're looking at is you're looking at some of the ways that they're, Ripple are going about interacting with the market is people who want to build um, technology that leverages Ripple for remittance. They will actually give you a whole bunch of Ripple on consignment. And what you'll do is you'll sell it to a customer who wants to remit. So you'll take the currency in like Mexico or whatever, sell them XRP at a floating dollar value, which is there. It will get transferred very quickly across and it'll be transferred back into a native currency on that side, which bypasses a whole, it's, it's, it's actually the most beautiful way that you could actually compete with other payment like platforms or networks like Visa and Swift that have massive incumbent network. There's no other way. I would agree with you, I don't think they give Flipped about the price of XRP. The only reason they give a shit about the price of XRP is because they hold let's so not, much XRP. Let's not be liberal with the swearing here. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And you can just add that over it. Um, but largely, I think that's why I don't think they care as opposed to the fact that they just hold a lot of XRP. For them, they really, they're using it as a funding crutch, yes. And I think this is why they get a lot of flack is they are using it as a funding crutch because they can't sell it to themselves and they make money off it because they're printing it, right? But at the end of the day, they are actually selling the ability for someone else to remit, right? That's what they're selling. And the two parties in there are actually net zero and they're selling this thing, right? So at the end of the day, like, is it different to, is it really different to Swift selling a, a fee on the transfer? Not really. It's just because everyone wants to look at this as an investment case, which you can do. And it has made a lot of people a lot of money, but that's why you can't go to Ripple and say, uh, like as an investor and go only buy Ripple and be like, well, this is going to work because it might not. That's the risk. So I think the first logical argument that a lot of people have mm -hmm. with Ripple, the company and XRP, the cryptocurrency is the supply argument, which we've now been yes. through, right? Wow. The second and I think more complicated 
and it's certainly not something that a lot of people easily understand, but a more complicated kind mm -hmm. of argument against Ripple and against XRP is we've seen in South Africa uh, that Bitcoin's price, Litecoin's price, Ripple's price mm. trades at a premium to that seen in international markets. You see this in Korea as well, and you see it in a lot of emerging markets around the world where there's not these very deep liquid markets. Yeah, sure. So with Ripple, or sorry, I'm the fourth time, like, yeah, <laughs> with XRP trading at a premium in South Africa, you could not, you would rather go with SWIFT. If you were moving money yes. out of South Africa, you would rather use a traditional payment network, even Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin trades at a slightly smaller premium in South Africa relative to, to XRP. So if you were looking at the market making functions, now what market making essentially is, is getting prices to a fair value so that they can be arbitraged. And what that really means, getting into yes. some ridiculous finance terms, what that means essentially is that Bitcoin's price in South Africa should be a fair value relative to a Bitcoin price in, uh, mm -hmm. say, the USA mm -hmm. or the UK. 100%. Now, with XRP not having a whole market of market makers, a whole you know army of market makers that go out there to make sure that XRP's price is the same around the world and is, you know, if XRP just for argument's sake costs $1, yeah. it needs to be $1 around the world. Otherwise, when you move money from one region to another region, even if it is pretty you much have instant, a premium. Yeah. there's a premium or there's a discount, which means that that value changes so significantly. So, 100%. I think that's one of the barriers. Um, and I think, I think South Africa in particular is one of, I think it's under 10 countries that still have exchange control laws about remitting money outside. So from that perspective, you can understand that the flow of money out is not as, as easy as the flow of money in, which naturally will have this disparity. And especially in times of market volatility, you're going to get these high spikes of premium, right? Because people want to rapidly get out or rapidly get in, which is natural. But when you actually look at what Ripple do with a lot of their products, they will actually sell you this Ripple on consignment and you won't pay until you actually action it and you action it at the global dollar value, right? The problem is you can't do that in South Africa because of XCON essentially, because you would essentially be immediately oh, yeah anyway let's not get into that but um there's a lot of restrictions around that internationally it actually works quite well because you don't have exchange control laws so over there ripple will give you like a million xrp and say that when you sell it you sell it at exactly the global rate that they give you they give you like a global ticker of what it's worth and then you can as a provider put a percent on it or put two percent on it and that's where those service providers make their money on ripple and that's why there will be demand for Ripple, because at the end of the day, they want to hold Ripple so that they can provide these services back and forth and they will hold on to Ripple. So if they eventually cut the supply, look how many people are using Ripple for remittance right now, like none, right? Imagine as many people were using Ripple or the Ripple product for remittance as, as Swift, right? And they cut the supply or halve the supply, the price of Ripple would skyrocket just because it doesn't really matter how many Ripple are $10. If one Ripple is $10, or if 100 Ripple is $10, you're still going to have the same exchange effect. So eventually, if they, if they succeed in mission number one, which is why I really like them, because it's a great business approach, if they succeed in mission number one, which is actually competing with Swift and MasterCard from a payment perspective, and all of their products leverage XRP, the currency, I cannot see another way that it does not cause XRP to skyrocket in price. It's like Binance coin. It just makes so much sense to me, but maybe I'm completely cooked, right? Yeah. This is highly likely, but that's why you have to have it in a bundle because it could go either way. Naturally, with the ratings council, they think Ripple is probably as close to a, a security. As I think that's just because on the, the supply side, right? Because you yes. can add more to the market because Ripple can guide and more, add more XRP. Essentially, the ratings council is just to. seeing that as the ability to ma manipulate price. 
Oh, yeah. So, I mean, again, I'm coming back to this point, and I think we've got to wrap this up in a short while. But one more point, one more point. Did you know that the technology that they built was actually donated to the Interledger, um, yeah, Hyperledger? Interledger, Hyperledger. Hyperledger, which project was it? Um, Fabric. No, it wasn't Fabric. Fabric is the other, whatever. Anyway, I can't remember it right now, but actually the, the, anyway, I don't know the project name. I can't remember it. Um, but essentially, all of that IP was actually donated by them. And it, it initially used um, XRP to actually do the transfers, but it doesn't have to. I mean, they can break it open. I mean, like, whatever. But at the end of the day, the market, in, the industry standard is moving this direction from a, from a multi-hop um, currency movement perspective. And I can only see them being the best possible technology partner option over the next while um, to compete with someone like Swift. Okay, so that's it. Sorry. what it is doing, though, is it's propping up this very broken and, to be honest, very inefficient financial system that we have. Yes. yes. So if you of the viewpoint, it's like what I am, it's that the idea of having uh, fiat currencies has been a failed experiment. It's been a failed experiment for a long time. It's not just currently a failed experiment. Having money that a government essentially, just like Ripple, can completely manipulate doesn't really make sense. You need to have some sort of hard money, and this is why... You know, you've got Bitcoin yeah. evangelists out there and Bitcoin proponents. And what we believe, us Bitcoin evangelists, essentially, is that you need a true form of money, a money where there is a fixed supply. There's no central authority that can manipulate that amount. Mm. So what do you say about that? Because the thing is that if this monetary system that we have is broken and the monetary system is going to go through a revolution, I mean, there's only so much money that can be printed through quantitative easing before something happens. Mm. We're sitting with a couple trillion dollars in debts around the world. We're sitting with unprecedented um, uh, bonds in, with negative interest rates. When I was at university and I was studying finance, there was a textbook section, not even a quarter of a page, and it spoke about negative real interest rates because it was mm. just such a, a theory rather than being something that's actually empirical. And I mean, I look at today's world and I'm, we've never been here before. You talking about mm a serious financial collapse happening now more than a decade ago. People are now calling for the next financial collapse. It's like they want it. It's like they want it. I mean, and again, <laughs> whether or not that's going to cause it is a different story as well. But do we need to continue to prop up this financial system, which is essentially just making better, and I'm not, I'm not just going to go yeah. full out of this, yeah. it's going to be making better flip. systems, or Ooh, do we go and... flip systems. <laughs> Better, better darn systems. <laughs> better darn systems. Or do we go out and actually try make a better system overall? Do we start creating like what Mark Carney's kind of put forward, having the likes of a Libra, some kind of um, multi-currency backed central currency that many emerging markets could potentially use? I mean, the world's predominantly dollarized anyway. Mm. There's a large proportion of this of this world's country and populations mm -hmm. and all the rest or countries and populations yeah. that use dollars. Base of the dollar or so, peg of the dollar. They exactly. outsource their monetary Completely. policy. Yeah. Most so the thing is, I see it like interestingly as like almost a sharing economy of currency. Like, why do you need your own currency? There's a lot of reasons why countries believe that they need their own currency, and there's a lot of good reasons. And I know that there are very smart people that manage to make sure that we don't have hyperinflation and things like that from a trade perspective and things. And that's all great, right? But I can't. I don't really. I don't really see how we can go the next thirty years without having some sort of proper safe haven currency that is, you know, I would say in this century, unlike gold. Like, just because, I mean, here's a, here's a random thought, right? 
imagine we do move to Mars, right? Like, okay, cool. Now you're like, now you've got like what, a government of Mars or a government of the moon or like whatever, and you've got this thing going on. We can hardly manage this between countries, right? Now you've got the government of Mars in 30 years, maybe 40 years, 50 years, 100 years, who cares, right? You've got this, right? And you've got spaceships now who also have now money happening inside of it. And you've got all these centralized ledgers of people and countries. Or what, How does monetary policy work here, right? Yeah, like how? Like I don't know. So what would they invent? No, the ex question, exactly. Right? exactly. What would they invent? I know it's not going to... I know that because the adoption curve is so slow when it comes to banks operating on the current monetary policy, you've got reserve banks doing what they're doing because they believe it's the right thing. Yes, and yes, a lot of cases are going to be the right thing, right? And it might not be the right thing in certain cases. And figuring out which is the right thing is the point. But it's going to happen slowly, in which case I don't see a way in which we can actually drop our current financial system and move to a new financial system. It's got to be gradual. But I don't think, and this is my counter-argument to that, I don't think we'll ever drop the financial system. The financial system will drop us because it'll become Oof. inefficient. Oof. The system Oof. won't work. The system's not working, let's be honest, right? You've Oof. got Argentina at the moment, which has had a significant currency devaluation over the last year and a half. You've had Zimbabwe that's had their currency. I mean, they've gone to three I mean, different currencies. Look, if, some, if what happened in Zimbabwe happened 20 years later with tech, like, with tech and Bitcoin, it would have had a massively different outcome with regards to currency. Potentially, but mm. I mean, you've got Venezuela that uh, issued the Bolivia um, and the Petro and all the rest. <laughs> Petro. Yeah. Yeah, I Is mean, that the oil back thing yeah, where they were like, the don't worry, we're very, very corrupt. Yeah, but like, then, this is a cryptocurrency, so you can't. Like, well, but then, you can and then the it. US sanctioned <laughs> the Petro and then sanctioned the Bolivia. And then, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that's all. But I'm just saying you've got emerging market currencies which are failing. They are, oh, they, yeah. These are objectively failing. And what are these people doing in these countries when the currency and the financial system fail? They... Exactly. They're well, going yeah. like, well, we have to use dollars. We have to make use of some other currency. Well, yeah. I mean, and then does it continue to happen until finally we're sitting in the world with just GBP, USD, well, and maybe, I don't know, the one or something? Oh, yeah, it'll probably just be the one. Yeah. At this rate, it'll just be that. But exactly what you're saying, I think they will, I think we will basically like, like divide out the lowest common denominator, i.e. all of the like currencies that are like small cap currencies, whatever, will actually just disappear and people will start using the dollar. But, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to believe that, but knowing human beings and how human beings in silos act based on their worldview, so like someone managing a small country in Africa could barely, could probably not get around having an African currency, let alone a world currency. And the only time when this is will be adopted is if something heavily goes wrong in a country, which I think will continue to happen just because of the forces, not of, not of like, like a monetary crisis or things like that. But I think just the way the world is moving with digitization and things like that, even employment. If we look at like countries now trying to decrease unemployment, right, the rate at which things are being digitized is only going to get exponentially faster, right? So is holding on to full employment as a goal actually attainable? in many countries that are not knowledge-based economies, right? Is that even no, possible? No. And now you're seeing countries like in Europe actually having, you know, like even in the UK, like having um, like welfare systems at work. Eventually, you're going to be changing what you do as a job. Like you're going to be a mom as a job, and that's going to be fine, and you're going to be rated on that. And as all of these other like economical value jobs get like filtered out of the economy, which they will, we'll have to figure out so many different ways of looking at the world. When we actually look at that, you know, what happens to a country where most of what you're doing is export of something or whatnot, 
like how how do you actually do that like it's going to be insane and like currency is the way they're managed at the moment i don't think we'll manage to hold the float and i think the pressures of just that alone will push many many currencies into like a proper hyperinflationary spin or whatever else goes wrong with it and i think i can only see things like gold or things like um bitcoin as a safe haven currency strengthening especially now that the united states is doing all its wobbly stuff when you are let's talking get, like, real about opinionated. Let's get okay real so opinionated. when you're talking about i'll give real opinion so when you're talking about having cross-border payments as being kind of a cornerstone of many economies and it's been like that for mm. ever and it will continue to be like that for a very long time you currently have a system where you'll go from one individual currency mm -hmm. many times just take the rand as an example a currency that has to structurally devalue in order to remain competitive given yeah. you know the normal structural forces in south africa that has to devalue over time it has to convert from rand it uses some intermediary some kind of a broker and then converts that rand into dollars and into pounds and into all these different currencies mm. now that's hell of inefficient why because you actually need to have some kind of a trading floor that matches dollars and pounds and dollars and euros and rands and dollars yeah, and all of these matching, different things yeah. right and they take a trading fee. So that'll take, I mean, it's, it's rather small. It's like mm. five basis points, so 0.05%. But they will take, and actually, if you're a retail investor, so the average Joe on the street, like you and I, if you wanted to move money offshore, you'll probably pay about 2% in South Africa, that's 2 right, to 3%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of forex charges. Now, that to me is a really inefficient system. I mean, if every single time you went to the shop and you had to buy groceries at a 2% premium, you know, over a year, you're paying 2% more. So mm -hmm. if you're earning 100,000 Rand over that year, as an example. 2,000 Rand. But look, I mean, that happens with Visa and MasterCard, right? The price of moving money is such. Visa and MasterCard at scale for like ShopRite, maybe you're getting 0.6% interchange on a card. Different between credit card and things like that based on risk, right? So the cost of transferring money is large. Swift is bigger. MasterCard and Visa and the payment like networks actually have a monopoly on real-time kind of like point in time thing and the only reason they have that is because they own the card network mm. and they own the actual like users and the humans are the thing that's the slowest to change in this whole thing so when you look at that the cost is very even across the industry and the only reason why it's not changing and it's not going to zero is because the people making the money out of it like a bank right and the people making the money out of it like visa and mastercard and swift have no actual real like impetus in the system to change it they don't no, certainly not. They no make their money right it actually yeah. does not cost them two percent to do any of that it's just what they can charge because it's the alternative like how much am i it's value-based pricing it's perfect from that perspective and that's why they can sponsor the entire world cup with more adverts than like actual rugby time but it's the same right? as imagine you were paying for every email you send no exactly you'd be like what flip what but am if I there doing? was a time like that they were called letters no well you're paying <laughs> like, for internet now internet's commoditized right? yeah so internet's really cheap it's the commoditization in most curve. areas of the world right and i just think money's going to do exactly the same thing 100 percent. i'm on the same so, page so i think that's so great you have no need for xrp no the, the thing term. the thing is there's actually <laughs> uh, oh well it just depends actually you might be right but the thing is what you also don't realize is xrp you can actually tokenize a dollar in it right so it isn't actually only XRP. The actual platform allows you to basically tokenize and actually create a dollar and transfer that dollar over to someone else. That's what those Exago people are doing. So you can actually do all of this, right? On their platform, it's basically just a payment rail. That's what they're trying to build, which is at this point trying to compete at great lengths with Visa, MasterCard, and Swift. And if you look at it like that, I can't see, I, I, I can't actually see a, a better way you would try and compete with Visa, MasterCard, and Swift. Like, I, I truly believe you need to create a better system. And, you know, 
with Facebook's problems, they're trying to do that. If a, if a business with that many users and yes. active users being close to a billion, right, which is essentially like a country. So China probably has that many people using a currency, right? Now you've got big tech, right, with this kind of user base, 100% digital, right? So it's not like they have a Facebook country. Okay, they do technically, but it's digital. Now, if they were to launch a currency, right, or a bank account along with their product, competition commission would stop them. 100%. They would be like, you can't do this. You can't. It's too dangerous because you're going to have a lot of control with this bank account in the thing, right? So now why can banks, right, with a bunch of customers, building an app to try and, like, manage how you do your finances? Why is that different? And then that brings into the question, how impartial are regulators actually when it comes to this? So should regulation, right, and, like, in the series I was watching, it's like deviancy of any sort. It's actually just a people opting out of the current rule set, which is why, because obviously there's all of these different ways this could end up, but like why could they not do that from a regulatory perspective? What does it matter? You know, well, is I it going to take 10 years to get to the same place that we all know? Is this just jostling? Is it jostling who actually gets to be there? Mm -hmm. Is it banks? Is it financial institutions? Is it big tech? Is it whatever? And is that how the regulation is going? Because at the end of the day, that's very efficient, inefficient, and I think it's how it's happened in the past quite a lot. So is there actually a danger to having Facebook say that we will give you a bank account and we will honor a dollar value between all our users as long as we know that you deposited? What's the problem with that? Well, I think the thing is, I mean, so there's a lot of different areas here. The first thing is that Facebook hasn't been the best with data. I mean, we've seen that oh, with yeah. Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> we saw that with the sharing of WhatsApp to Facebook user data. Mm. So there's a concern that if Facebook, this if Delicious-esque, whatever company. Well, you can just say they're not. They're not ethical company. <laughs> is now launching Libra, that that data is going to be essentially not private. It's not going. It's going to. I mean, imagine uh, your government. Well, what's imagine private? your government was seeing all the transactions that you were doing online. Imagine. Imagine. But the point being, imagine <laughs> that you had a company that was doing that and could monetize yeah. it. That would be quite scary. So that's the first thing, right? The second thing well, is that's that a country. No, but this is the thing, right? Is that money is a sovereign. Um, asset really it's something that the government issues because the government is there for the for all the people not yeah. just customers and i think that's an important concept that people have to understand as well i i highly don't see the difference between a country and a company at that size well, don't see it you, you have to a country a country a country has people in it and a company has people in it and like a company has employees and then customers, and a country has employees and customers. Well, countries have liabilities to those customers. Companies don't. So countries have liabilities as in that people pay taxes and they expect services and that they there's pensions and there's yeah. all these... So change barriers. the word tax into payment for services. Tax, payment for services. So, so yeah, it's like the same structure. The only way, it's just got a very a very different way of electing senior management. No, well, I mean, who is a government responsible to? It's people, right? Yes. Who is a company responsible to? It's shareholders. Stakeholders. So, it depends no, which... It well, depends, I would love it depends, to think, it depends, love to think they're It depends involved. which version... Of, uh, if you go into, like, the king kind of side of it, yes, the greater stakeholder pool, and that's slightly different in many cases. I get you. That's one difference. Yeah. But when you look at it like that, there, there are very big similarities. You can't argue. No, of course, don't no, no, look. There's a lot of similarities, and I think the way that the world's going is that you know governments are and they always have been kind of in bed with big corporation, 
And if big corporation and com- countries can work together, governments and whatnot can actually work together, you get a really good symbiosis and a good outcome, generally speaking, because you, know, you can build a country together. Mm. And that's essentially what I think having pro-business and that kind of um, regulatory approach, mm. it helps a lot. Anyway, so I think maybe getting off the deep yeah, detour that good, we've taken here. We're going to have 30 seconds each <laughs> okay. to sum up. say... Sum, sum up, up. Sum up pro... To Ripple. convince Tian. Well, let's pick an impartial party. Why don't we? I've made my decision. <laughs> okay. Do, do you need the 30 seconds? <laughs> okay. So, Lou, in 30 seconds. Yes. Why does XRP mm-hmm. have a spot in your investment portfolio? Go. The only reason why XRP deserves a spot in the investment portfolio is because out of all of the companies that actually have any influence over any cryptocurrency, right? They are the one that is acting the smartest about it. Um, From a logical perspective, they are going after real clients with real commercial agreements and the cryptocurrency itself happens to have positive price action based on how they are going about their business, which is, I think, very smart. At the end of the day, whether you can sell an XRP for something or not, I'm not 100% sure, which is why you should diversify. But I really think that just from a logical business point of view, they're making the right moves relative to other cryptocurrencies. That's it. Okay. I will will fight you on this. Okay. So XRP has no fixed supply. From an investment standpoint, if somebody came to me and said, hey, I'm going to give you two shares of my company and there's only five shares in circulation. I own a fairly significant portion of that company. If he then goes or she then goes and sells another thousand shares of that company, I own a significantly smaller portion of that company. And if I was to own, say, 50,000 XRP tokens and Ripple went out and created a whole bunch more and dumped them in the market and then went out again and dumped a whole bunch more in the market, there's only so many times that that can happen before I'm just going to sit back and be pissed off that they're dumping so much in the market and my little token is, or my tokens are worth less. First point, first big point. Second point, right, is that it's building on top of a broken financial system. It's trying to compete against SWIFT when we need to be completely changing the way that payments are done and that the way the payments are handled. To kind of build on top of a old IBM-based database makes no sense when there is a better cloud solution that exists out there. And I think, terrible analogy, but you understand what I'm getting at. And I think that that's the problem with Ripple and the problem with XRP, is that you're trying to find a better so- uh, solution to a flip system. Whereas I think the likes of what Bitcoin's trying to achieve, <laughs> what Bitcoin's trying to achieve and what other cryptocurrencies are trying to achieve is a better monetary system for the world, not for a single country. This is the Revix Podcast. Thank you very much for listening today or watching today. Thank you. We will see you soon. Bye. Bye.